Today we're going to continue our study through the book of Matthew. We find ourselves in the beginning of chapter 23. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to start making your way there to Matthew 23. Today we are going to cover the first 12 verses of chapter 23 uh, as we need to uh, allow some time at the end of our service for a time of communion as well. I felt like, okay, I'm not going to try and bite off more than uh, we can chew. And so we'll do the first 12 verses this morning. In our portion today, Jesus is going to exhort the multitudes and his disciples to be very careful about not following the example left behind by the religious leaders. Specifically, he highlights the ministry of the scribes and the Pharisees. Okay? These men were in a place of leadership, but Jesus is going to highlight many characteristics of poor leadership that were exemplified in the lives of the scribes and Pharisees. I've entitled our message today, Leadership Do's and Don'ts. All right? Let's stand as we read our portion together. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. It begins, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven." And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this opportunity to spend time in it this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to receive all that you intend for us and all that you would have for us. Father, uh, we pray just uh, a blessing upon our time. We pray for your spirits uh, empowering, Lord, and anointing and presence. Father, we also just pray for our children's ministry, those who are faithfully serving behind the scenes. We pray your blessings would be upon them. And Lord, we even pray for those blessings upon the other churches and chapels that are meeting this morning, that are teaching your word and proclaiming the love of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do a mighty work amongst them as well. Lord, we look forward with anticipation to all that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. The portion that we just read is a continuation of Jesus' words that he spoke in chapters 21 and 22 on a very fully packed day of ministry, uh, the Tuesday 
prior to his arrest and crucifixion. In chapter 21, if you've been following along with this, this will be a little bit of a review. But in chapter 21, Jesus had come to the temple early in the morning on Tuesday and was immediately confronted by the chief priests and elders demanding that Jesus tell them by what authority he was doing the things that he was doing and who gave him that authority. You'll recall that Jesus then asked them about the authority of John the Baptist and whether he was from heaven or from men. And when they did not answer for fear of the people, Jesus then would not answer their question either. What Jesus did do, however, was show through a series of three parables the religious leaders' complete rejection of God. If you recall, he pictured the rejection of God the Father in the parable of the two sons. He pictured the rejection of God the Son, Jesus Christ, in the parable of the wicked vine dressers. And then ultimately he pictured the rejection of God the Holy Spirit in the parable of the wedding feast. And after he spoke these three parables, the religious leaders, they responded with three different lines of questioning in an attempt to entangle Jesus in his words. Okay? They, they asked him a question about taxes. They asked him about marriage and the resurrection and about the greatest commandment. And with each attack, Jesus was able to cause his questioners and the multitudes to marvel, to be in astonishment ultimately silencing them and causing the questions to cease altogether. And after silencing the religious leaders, Jesus then turns his attention towards the multitudes and towards his disciples, as indicated here in verse 1 of our text this morning. And as we'll see, Jesus is speaking to the multitudes and to his disciples, but the subject matter of his words is still focused upon the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is going to seize this opportunity to warn the people and his disciples about the poor leadership and the poor example that had been left behind by these religious leaders. Verse 2, if you look back there, verse 2 says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What is uh, Jesus talking about when he mentions the scribes and Pharisees sitting in Moses' seat? It is believed that during those days, in uh, many of the first century synagogues would have within them a stone seat in front uh, where a a teacher of the law would sit uh, and teach from the scrolls that would be before this stone chair. They would be called Moses' seat. And although we do not see a commandment for the use of such a chair, In Scripture, we do see in the book of Exodus an account where this practice could easily be traced back to. In Exodus chapter 18, Moses is described as sitting before the people as a judge while all the people stood waiting in line to see him morning to evening. Maybe you guys are familiar with that portion of Scripture. If you remember, it was Jethro, Moses' father-in-law he noticed the situation and he asked Moses what he was doing and Moses replied in verse 15 and 16 of Exodus 18 he said because the people come to me to inquire of God 
When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and His laws. Jethro, if you're familiar with the, the account, he ended up telling Moses that this was not a good idea and that he was going to wear himself out if he continued to do such. And he encouraged him to find others to help him out, which is another whole Bible lesson that we won't get into this morning. But needless to say, okay, uh, it would seem that this idea of Moses' seat is traced back to the practice of Moses sitting before the people and inquiring of the Lord for the people, judging between one another and making known the statutes and the laws of God. Those that taught at the synagogues, in essence, were supposed to be doing the same thing. As the spiritual leaders within the synagogues and they sat in Moses' seat, it was with the expectation that they too would inquire of the Lord, that they would be able to properly discern between right and wrong and make known to the people the Word of God. Jesus tells us that it is the scribes and Pharisees that sit in Moses' seat. They are the spiritual leaders who have been entrusted with the responsibility of seeking the Lord, exercising discernment, and making known to the people, the Word of God. And the idea is that they were people that zealously sought the Lord okay, and, and His Word, and they were yielded to God and His Word. However, that was not the case. They were not yielded to the Lord. They fought against the Lord. Their thoughts were not of the Lord, but of themselves. This is why Jesus warned the disciples to beware the leaven, that is the the doctrine, of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 16, verse 6. I believe Psalm chapter 50, verse 16 and 17 were written as a prophetic picture of the ministry of the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day. In Psalm chapter 50, verse 16 and 17, it says this, But to the wicked God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or, to, or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? The scribes and Pharisees, they would not be instructed by the Lord. Okay? They would not listen to God's servant, John the Baptist. They would not listen to God's son, Jesus Christ. They hated the instruction of John and Jesus Alike, and they cast aside their words, and in doing so, they cast aside the words of the Lord, and they left them behind. The scribes and Pharisees had no business sitting in the seat of Moses, pretending to be agents of God's message when they themselves would not listen to or follow God's message. You know, this is something that I think that we should all take as a warning as well. Specifically myself, as I stand before you and teach the Word of God, that I also must live according to the Word of God. But I think it applies to all of us. We should not presume to share God's Word if we ourselves do not first follow God's Word. You know, I wish and desire that we all would share 
the Word of God with those around us. But don't make the mistake that these scribes and Pharisees made. Don't speak God's Word to others and expect them to follow if you yourself don't follow God's Word. It's a strong warning, not only for them, but I believe for us as well. When we do that, when we... uh, speak God's word and expect others to follow, but we do not follow it ourselves. We are doing the same things that the scribes and Pharisees did, whom Jesus called hypocrites. Don't be hypocrites. That is, that is the mantra of the secular world. The church is filled with hypocrites. And the hard thing to swallow about it is that there's some truth to the statement. If we're going to proclaim God's word, let's first make sure that we're following God's word ourselves. Share God's word with others and live it out as an example as well. Well, let's continue. Let's look at verse 3. Jesus continued. He said, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. Jesus here, he gives two commandments to the multitudes and to his disciples. One is a little bit of a no-brainer. We're like, yeah, that's, I saw that one coming. You know? But the other one is a little bit of a head-scratcher. Okay? First, the no-brainer. Jesus told the people there, do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. This is something we would expect Jesus to say after all of the strong words that he had against the religious leaders. Okay? It makes sense for him to say, don't do according to their works. Jesus basically said, don't follow their works because they are hypocrites. They say one thing, but do another. You know, uh, growing up as a kid, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. Uh, and I remember getting in trouble sometimes. Uh, not often. I was a pretty good kid. Um, but getting in trouble sometimes for doing things that my parents did as well. Okay, I'd see my parents doing something, and I would think, oh, I can do that too. Because my parents do it, right? But then oftentimes I would get the response from my, some of my parents. My mom said it a lot. Uh, she would say, do as I say, not as I do. And even as a kid, that didn't make sense to me. Okay? You know, if, if you're a parent here today, and you live by that mantra, I would ask you kindly just to please stop. Okay? Don't live by do as I say, not as I do. Okay? Instead, be a better example to your children. We ought to live our lives in such a manner that if our kids follow in our footsteps, that they'd end up doing the right things. And they'd end up doing uh, things that are honoring of the Lord because we're doing things that are honoring of the Lord. I think sometimes we can have things that we think, oh, well, we're an adult and we can do that. Okay? We can you know, maybe have a filthy mouth or do this or say that. But you're a kid, so you can't do that. And, and it's a double standard. And I would encourage you, please don't live by that mantra. Okay? Don't live by do as I say, not as I do. This commandment that Jesus gave to the multitudes and disciples applies just as much to us. Okay? We need to be people whose words match our actions. Okay? The other commandment Jesus gave, it was a commandment that may make us, as I mentioned, to scratch our head a little. 
okay, as to why he would command such a thing. He said, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. The, the words observe and do, they're actually written in the command form. Jesus is commanding that they observe and do whatever the scribes and Pharisees speak. Uh, you would think okay, that Jesus would say, don't listen to a word they say. Okay? They're, all, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. Don't, don't listen to them at all. Okay? Don't have anything to do with them. But he doesn't say that. And it made me wonder, why, why did he say that? And I was studying, I felt like came up with a couple reasons here, uh, I believe, why he told them to do such. First off, I believe he did so because of the authority and position they represented in the synagogue. Verse 3 begins with the word, therefore. Okay, therefore, it's a, a word to sh- to, that shows a result. As a result of something, Jesus said the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, therefore, or as a result of that fact that they sit there, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. And so out of respect for the position and authority as those that sat in Moses' seat, they were to follow what they said. But I also believe this. Secondly, I believe he did so because of access to the Word of God. We must realize that the access that we have today to the Word of God is not the same as what they had back then. Today we have all sorts of access to Bibles. I imagine that most of you have multiple Bibles within your home. You've got your study Bibles and you've got your King James and you've got your NLT or all sorts of different translations. Some that you like to read devotionally, maybe some you like to study from. All sorts. Okay? Um, I know that I have a, a lot of different Bibles within our house. Okay? Uh, and also with access to digital copies of Bibles. Most of you can have the Word of, your, of God at your fingertip with just a swipe of a screen or a push of a button. Back then, the Word of God was predominantly written on scrolls. Okay? And then these scrolls, they were often kept at local synagogues. Okay? where they were read by the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And to command that they not listen to the scribes and Pharisees would seriously hinder their access to the Word of God. And because Jesus wanted them to have access to hear the Word of God, He told the people to observe and do what they say. And herein lies a difficulty. We already know that Jesus had warned the disciples about the doctrine of the Pharisees, that the things they said were not good, that they were dangerous. Okay? And yet here he tells them to observe what they say and do it. I believe Jesus is explaining to the multitudes and his disciples their responsibility to hear the word, but also to discern the word. Their doctrine is dangerous, but you still need to listen to it and carefully discern that which is to be observed and that which is to be discarded. You know, the same principle applies to us today. We need to be able to hear the word and discern whether or not it is of the Lord. 
There's an account in the book of Acts that exemplifies this for us. In Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas, they were sent to a place called Berea. And when they arrived in Berea, they went to the local synagogue and taught the word of the Lord and the gospel there. And verse 11 says of the Bereans that they were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. We need to be good Bereans. When I come up here and I teach, or if anyone comes up here and teaches from this pulpit, you should be ready to receive, but also you need to search the Scriptures yourself to know that what comes from this pulpit matches what the Word of the Lord declares for us. Okay, It's important. Whether it's here or where the Lord, wherever the Lord may lead you or direct you, that you just don't take whatever's coming from the pulpit as that's the, the Word of God gospel truth. Okay, We need to use discernment. And there will be times you may not agree with me, and we can talk about it. And I've had some conversations like that, and we can agree to disagree sometimes, or, or sometimes we, we, there's just a miscommunication, and, and that's fine, but we need to actively be able to discern the Word of God as it is shared. I believe that Jesus is telling the multitudes and the disciples just to do that. To listen to what they say and observe it and follow it, unless, of course, it's bad doctrine. Because he already warned them about their bad doctrine. And so they needed to be able to discern. Is that right? Is what they're saying right? Is that good doctrine? And so I want to encourage you as well to do the same. In verse 4, Jesus begins an example of how they say and do not do. It says, For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Jesus draws attention to the, peop- to the practice of the scribes and Pharisees loading up heavy burdens upon the people. Later on in this chapter, Jesus is actually going to have... Um, some even stronger words for the scribes and Pharisees. He's going to uh, pronounce eight woes upon them. That'll be next week. If you guys want to read ahead, you can. Okay? But one of the things mentioned in those woes involves a description of just how they would load heavy burdens upon the people. Okay? In Matthew 23, verse 23, just a few verses uh, down, you guys could probably look there. Uh, Jesus declares, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You see, the scribes and Pharisees, they expected everyone to give a tithe of every single thing that they owned. And it was a very taxing uh, effort to try and keep track of all the plants and spices that were harvested uh, that the, uh, those but that was the expectation leveled upon everyone the scribes and Pharisees they would tithe spices okay I, you know really if you're that's a little tiny amount you're trying to measure out a tenth of whatever came in uh, but they were very adamant that they had to do this and that everybody needed to follow uh, accordingly. 
People were expected to keep the weightier matters in addition to all these crazy rules and many man-made traditions that the Pharisees had conjured up. And Peter spoke of this load that was laid upon them by the religious leaders in the book of Acts when they were deciding how to handle Gentiles that had converted to the faith. And they're like, well, should they keep the law or should they not keep the law? What should we do? And Peter said in Acts chapter 15, verse 10, he says, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Peter said the, the load and the burden was something that none of the Jewish people were able to keep. It was an oppressive load, a load that was unbearable. Contrary to the practices of the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus, he invited people, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Jesus was the exact opposite of these scribes and Pharisees. Where they bound heavy burdens, Jesus' burden was light. Where their burdens were hard to bear, Jesus' yoke was easy. As they laid them on men's shoulders, Jesus invites us to place things upon His shoulders as He invites us to yoke with Him. Where they would not lift a finger to help, Jesus offers to yoke with us and to teach us with gentleness and a humble heart. One of the things that I love about following Jesus Christ is that His yoke is easy, His burden is light, and He partners together with us through it all. He's leading us and teaching us throughout the whole way. Jesus would never ask us to do something that He Himself would not be willing to do as well or hadn't done Himself already. This is a good mark of a great leader. A great leader won't ask people to do something they aren't willing to do themselves. Okay? And so don't be like these scribes and these Pharisees. Don't ask others to do things that you aren't willing to do yourself. Verse 5 is another reason not to do according to their works. Let's read verse 5. He says, But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. The scribes and Pharisees, they do their works to be seen by men. They care more about what the people think than they do about what God thinks. This isn't the first time Jesus has said this about these guys. He did so before in Matthew chapter 6. There, during his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explained that when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Who do you think Jesus was referring to when he spoke about the hypocrites in the synagogue? He was talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders. 
Jesus, he listed two different works that they would do to be seen by men. The first thing mentioned was that they make their phylacteries broad. Okay? Maybe some of you aren't familiar with what a phylactery is. Okay? A phylactery was a small leather case, much like a, in a shape of a box, that was used for enclosing small strips of parchment with scripture written upon them. Okay? And they wore, uh, there were four portions of scripture that were written on these parchments and stored within the phylactery. Okay? They were Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. Exodus 13, 11 through 16, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, and Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 21. And in each of these four portions of Scripture, there's a description of something that God did, that the Lord did for His people, that He wanted the people to never forget. And so he exhorted them to keep the memory of these events as a sign on your hand as, and as frontlets between your eyes. The Jewish people, they took these words literally. Okay? Even though it was to be as a sign, okay? and they came up with the use of phylacteries for the head and one for the arm as well. Okay, the small leather cases were fastened by uh, certain straps to the forehead, just between the eyes, and another one uh, was strapped uh, to the left arm near the elbow, and they would have multiple bands, uh, a long leather strap that they'd wrap around their arm as well. I actually have a picture. Okay, so uh, the phylactery there, see the little box on his, looks like his bicep area? That would be a phylactery. There's some scrolls in there, and then they have the wrap it up, uh, the leather strap around their arm, and then right on his forehead, Again, another phylactery, and within there would be parchments, small little tiny parchments with those four scriptures, uh, portions written out on them. Okay? And so what the scribes and the Pharisees would do is that they would make their phylacteries really broad, okay? Really wide on their forehead, okay? And, and, and the idea was the broader that they were, the more spiritual. The, the more holy, the, the closer that they were to God. Look how big my phylactery is. It's like there's stories of some that made, were so big that it was hard to stand up straight with them hanging off of your forehead. The, the, the second work that they did to be seen by men was to enlarge the borders of their garments. Okay? This too has its root in the Mosaic Law. In Numbers chapter 15, the Lord spoke to Moses saying... Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them. The robes that uh, they were to wear were supposed to have special blue thread through the, the tassels that were placed on the corners. And, and those tassels were meant to serve as a reminder of God's commandments to them, for them to follow the law. But just, just through the tassels wasn't enough. Okay? Eventually the rope started having this blue thread, not only through the tassels, but through the hem. Okay? And, and the scribes and Pharisees, they would enlarge the borders upon their robes with this blue thread. It wouldn't be just in the, in the, in the hem. It would be the whole entire border, this blue thread, uh, just to, to, again, with the desire to draw attention 
to their, uh, themselves and, and look, I understand the commandments of God and I'm always looking at them and being reminded of them. Look at my big, huge blue border on my robe. These two things, along with all their other works, they were done to be seen by men. And this is something that we need to be careful about doing as well. Jesus said, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. And he said, And when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Don't do works to be seen by men. Seek to honor the Lord in the works that you do by not drawing attention to yourself. That if people do see our works, as Matthew declares in Matthew chapter 5, that they would see our works and they would glorify our Father in heaven. That it wouldn't be about us. And we need to be careful about that. We can like to get in the way sometimes. And we like, a, we like a little pat on the back from time to time. And we like to know, hey, you know, I'm getting noticed here. That's good. But it's not. We don't do our works to be seen by men. Or we shouldn't, at least. Verse 6 and 7. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Here Jesus identifies yet another reason not to do according to their works. Namely, that they seek after and they love the attention of man and not the Lord. Jesus identifies four different things that they did to garner the attention of men. Okay? First, Jesus said they love the best places at feast. Okay? The best places in the in the Greek, that, those two words, best places, uh, it's actually one term in the Greek, and it relates to the chief place at a banquet. Okay, it's known as the seat of honor, or a place of honor. And here we see that these men sought after honor for themselves rather than having it given to them by others. You know, this is something to watch out for in leadership Someone who seeks honor probably doesn't deserve the honor that they seek. Honor in and of itself is not a bad thing. But seeking that place of honor is something that the Lord warned against. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus spoke a parable in response to this very act of the Pharisees seeking out the best places at a mealtime. The parable basically says when, the, when you're invited to a feast, don't sit down in the best places because someone more honorable than you may come and then you're going to be asked to move and then you're going to be embarrassed okay? and you're going to be shamed if you do that. He says, rather sit down in the lowest place and see if he that invited you moves you to a higher seat. Okay? And Jesus said, you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. And so he says, Having honor or being honored by someone else isn't a bad thing. But it's when we seek after that honor ourselves, when we look to bestow it upon ourselves, that's what we need to look out for. He says, go ahead and sit at the low spot 
And then when you're, the person comes by and says, hey, what are you doing down here? Come on up high. Then, it, then you have that honor. When we assume to take it to ourselves, that's a bad thing. We need to be careful not to do that as well. Don't be someone who seeks after honor. Be faithful and allow the Lord to honor you in due season when he sees fit. Second, Jesus said they love the best seats in the synagogues. Okay? The best seats in the synagogues, they were right up front in front of everyone. And they were considered the chief seats. Okay? Not the cheap seats, the chief seats, most important seats. Okay, those that sat in the chief seats were considered men of great position. Okay, the scribes and Pharisees, they wanted that status symbol that came with sitting in the chief seat. Again, this is something that should be, I believe, avoided. Seeking position and seeking status among men is not something that we should be longing for. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 28, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus gives us that example. He didn't come seeking position or status. And he said, you want to be great? Then, then take the low spot. Be a servant. Be the slave of all. Third, Jesus said they loved greetings in the marketplace. Okay, the marketplace was, was not just like the supermarket that we think of today where we think, oh, I'm going to go buy something at the market. Okay, the marketplace was a place where people assembled for not only the sale of goods, but also for public trials. It was a public gathering, a meeting place. And, and the idea of these men loving greetings in the marketplace, it showed that they sought after acknowledgement and recognition. Okay? Seeking after recognition and acknowledgement is a very selfish thing to do. When they entered the marketplace, they wanted people to know that they were there. They wanted people to, to, to greet them because it was all about them. Okay? You know, I heard a quote the other day as I was listening to a, a teaching uh, that said, there are two types of people. Those who come into a room and say, well, here I am. And those who come in and say, ah, there you are. The scribes and Pharisees, they were the kind that entered a room and said, Here I am, look at me. They were selfish people. They only thought of themselves. Paul wrote to the Philippian church to encourage them to do the exact opposite of what these guys were doing. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Fourth and finally, Jesus said they love to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Okay? The word Rabbi, it means master. Okay? When used, it most often referred to a, a doctor or a teacher uh, of the law. It's a title of honor within Jewish schools. Okay? And I read in my studies that actually the duplication of the noun in Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew language, actually elevates the status. 
And so when he says, when they like to be called rabbi, rabbi, what they really like to be called is most excellent rabbi or, or most excellent teacher. It's an elevated status. It's an elevated title. Here we see that these men, they sought after titles as well. They wanted to be somebody. They wanted that title that they sought after. You know, seeking after titles usually only causes problems. You know, here in our church, uh, you may notice that, that we're not too big on titles. Okay? Uh, I, I've seen and witnessed funny things happen to people when they uh, all of a sudden get a title next to their name and they feel like, ooh, okay, I'm, I'm this now, so I'm going to, you know, just rule the roost and I'm going to do all these sorts of things. And, and titles have a, a, a way of doing funny things to people. And so, you know, we, tr- we don't put a big emphasis on, on handing out titles to people here. You know, Jesus had a few things to say about titles in verses 8 through 10. So let's read what he said about these different titles. In verse 8 he says, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Jesus listed three titles that we should avoid using in regards to those in spiritual leadership, and he gave a reason for each one. And I just want to put a disclaimer out there. As we look these over, I want to clarify that, that we know from the rest of Scripture that, that Jesus did not intend this to be an absolute prohibition of using these titles. Okay? Rather, he's speaking in the context of, of, of those uh, to, who have hearts that love to uh, collect uh, these titles, they cherish, cherish such titles. And, and we know this because under the inspiration of, hold, of the Holy Spirit, godly men spoke of themselves with some of these same titles. As you read through, uh, Paul talks about how uh, he is a father to uh, those that he uh, shared the gospel to, and they were like his children. Uh, and uh, Jesus himself, uh, they called him rabbi. Uh, the disciples called him rabbi. So it's not an absolute prohibition. You can't say these things. But it's that idea, the context of using those titles with those who long for and seek after those titles like these religious leaders. The emphasis is upon those that love and seek after titles. Jesus said, don't be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, referring to Jesus Christ. He also said, don't be called rabbi, because we are all brethren. The idea here is that we are all one, we are all in the same position. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? We're not greater than anyone else. Okay? We're all just sinners that have been covered with the blood of Jesus Christ and His grace is upon us. And that's the only thing that separates us from anybody else is that we've been forgiven. Okay? We're not greater than anybody else. We're all brothers and sisters. If you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you're a brother and sister. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're brethren. We don't elevate each other over one another. That's not what we do. Okay? You know, some people, they, they, they call me 
uh, Pastor Glenn here, and that's okay because I've been called a whole lot worse than Pastor uh, before. Uh, and I understand that some people do it out of respect for the position, and, and I'm not going to you know, say absolutely prohibit you from saying that, but really, I'm just Glenn. Okay? You can call me Glenn because that's my name. And we're brothers in Christ, we're sisters in Christ, and I feel comfortable doing that, and if you feel comfortable doing that, please, you know, that's who I am. Okay? It's not about titles, it's not about elevating uh, individuals. Okay? Uh, you don't need to call, just don't call me anything really mean, because I, I get sensitive sometimes. Okay? Jesus said, don't call anyone on earth your father. Okay? And now we know, we know here that Jesus is not speaking about biological fathers. Okay? It's okay to, to call your father, father. Okay? The context, again, here is those in spiritual leadership that seek after and long for such titles. And I, and I know some of you may have come from different uh, denominational backgrounds and, and may be familiar with referring to people as father. Uh, having never been in a, a denomination that uses such terminology, it seems a little bit weird to me in light of this portion of Scripture that we would call people father even though it says not to in that realm. Uh, but Jesus said, don't call anyone on earth your father because we have one spiritual father who is in heaven. And then lastly, Jesus said, do not be called teachers. And again, said, because Jesus Christ is our teacher. Again, the context is not meant to be confined. Uh, or is meant to be confined to the spiritual leaders. I know some of you guys are teachers. You know, you teach at, at, at MC Perry or, or some of the, the, the elementary school on base. You know, uh, you're a teacher, and it's okay to be called teacher. Uh, that's not what he's saying. It's that idea of those spiritual leaders uh, who long for that title. He says, don't call people that. Okay? All right, let's look at verse 11 and 12. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus concludes his address to the multitudes and to his disciples with some familiar words about greatness and service, words that we've heard before as we've studied through the book of Matthew. And I just want to say, you know, true greatness, true Spiritual leadership and greatness is found in serving others. We see it over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. If you want to be great, if you want to be a leader, you need to be a servant. And you need to be faithful with little. And, and the Lord allows you to be brought up and, and given more responsibility. When you're faithful with that, He gives you more. And you're right, right, the Lord raises you up. It starts with service. And it begins and ends and continues in service. That's how you become great. Jesus said, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled or, or put down. Uh, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. James chapter 4, verse 6 states, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's no greater example that can be found of this than Jesus Christ himself, who humbled himself and became a man and came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It's a long portion. I'll read it to you. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 explains this perfect example of 
being humble and the Lord exalting. It says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you which also which uh, was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us. And now God has exalted him and his name above all others. It's a glorious example of what verse 12 tells us to do. This morning, uh, I, I hope and pray that as we went through this portion of Scripture that, that you're able to take something from today's message about Jesus' warning against poor leadership exampled through the scribes and the Pharisees. We noted a couple different do's and don'ts that I hope will be able to apply to your own life uh, as you lead. Okay? You're, you're leaders. You're leaders in your home. Many of you are leaders within your workplace and leaders within a community. And so we need to use and learn from these examples. The poor examples that we don't do them and the good examples that we, did fo- we would follow them. That we might lead as Christ and be an example of Him in our lives. You know, before we close our service this morning, we're going to take some time to uh, worship the Lord and partake of communion. Okay, as a church, uh, this is something that we do uh, on the first Sunday of every month. Okay? Uh, taking communion is not uh, something that uh, you have to be part of this church to, to partake of communion. You need to be part of the Church of Christ. Okay? Uh, and, and so the scriptures, they uh, exhort us in First Corinthians chapter 11 that we're to uh, examine ourselves before we partake of communion and to uh, make sure that we are, are, our life is in order. Let me turn there real fast. First Corinthians 11, uh, verse 20, 28 says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, we're going to have the worship team come up. They're going to lead us in a time of song and, and worship. And I want to encourage you guys to pray, to worship the Lord. And we're going to pass out, the ushers are going to pass out the uh, communion elements, the bread and the cup. They're going to pass them out together. And as you receive the bread and the cup, I want to encourage you to seek the Lord, to pray, to consider and be reminded of Christ's work upon the cross for us, to be reminded of the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ that was established uh, through His blood, this new covenant of grace.
that we are under. No longer is it through the sacrifice of lambs or rams or bulls uh, upon an altar, but once and for all a sacrifice, Jesus Christ, that His sacrifice was sufficient for all of us. And so just be mindful of that. Be praying. And as you do, uh, as the Lord leads you, you partake of the communion. Uh, elements uh, there with yourself. Maybe if you're here with your spouse or with your family, you guys want to uh, say a prayer together and take communion together. I want to encourage you to do so. And so, as the Lord leads, you partake of the bread and the cup. And then at the end of the uh, our song, uh, I'll come up and close us out in a word of prayer. All right.
the sound Amazing love Now flowing down From hands and feet There were nailed to a tree His grace flows down and covers me Thank you.